0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing.
1: Hello and welcome to Down the Garden Path where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing.
0: Hello, Matt. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low-maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's
1: right, and tonight, the last Monday in November, we are wrapping up Author Month with the Mocha Gardener, Ashley Thomas, and a look at her new book, How to Become a Gardener. In it, Ashley teaches us how we can empower ourselves by creating food security at home. So, if you have a question for Ashley about how to become a gardener, about growing your own food or food security, we'd love to hear from you. Send your questions to us here at Down the Garden Path podcast
0: at hotmail.com. And just before we welcome Ashley to the show, uh, a little bit about our wonderful guest this evening. Ashley Thomas is an author, food security and gardening advocate, and entrepreneur known on social media as the Mocha Gardener. For nearly seven years, Ashley worked in the scientific research sector and managed healthcare-based projects in academia. With a background in biology and chemistry, she's currently pursuing her graduate studies in food and nutritional science and undergoing training as a certified health and wellness coach through Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Outside of work and school, you'll find Ashley consulting and working with organizations to help bridge the gap between food security and chronic diseases in underserved and low-resourced communities. Using her passion for gardening and training in health coaching, she seeks to bring awareness through practice to growing issues of food security while empowering and educating others on how to take control of their wellness through growing the very thing that sustains them, good, nutritious food. Welcome to the show, Ashley.
2: Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here tonight or today or
0: (laughs) Or whenever you're listening. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So... Why don't you start off by telling us what inspired you to write How to Become a Gardener? That's a really great
2: question. And one that I had to think about uh, when I first began, um, I thought about all of the gardening resources that were available to, you know, all of us out here mm-hmm. that's gardening and interested in even, uh, you know, cultivating green life, the green life around us. And I said, you know, before we dive into all of these tips i think it would be really cool to understand how to even become this person that cultivates these things you know what does it even mean to be a gardener because as you embark upon this journey there's so much to learn and it's so much deeper than just putting seeds into the ground and watching the green life grow up it's there's a transformation that takes place in you and it's almost like a purpose driven uh, mm-hmm. you know so yes. Yeah. That's, that's the that's the
1: inspiration wow that's great and then growing food specifically as well as your focus yes so um
2: I am uh, particularly interested in the good stuff which is mm-hmm. the foods that we eat <laughs> I mean, food doesn't like food I, we all need it uh, we all need it to survive and more so the quality of foods that we eat helps us to thrive so mm. I was interested in getting access to those things the stuff okay. that we needed to thrive okay
1: And did you start small on your own? Like, did you start, you know, as a landscape designer, my clients, you know, want to start and they, they want to start in containers. They want to, or did you like go all in? So from Instagram, I will show, let you know that social
2: media has a way of showing you that I started big, but I love telling this story because I did not in fact start my little growing journey through the garden that you see on social media. Uh I actually started in a little studio. My husband made this little bench and he brought home some seeds and a few tiny little containers for me to grow herbs on our windowsill uh, when we moved here to North Carolina. And that is what I like to tell people. That is what started this Uh growing desire of me becoming a gardener because I started with just these little pots and some a, a little bit of culinary herbs. Of course, I put too many seeds in these pots. And, <laughs> and it didn't get a lot of sun. And yeah, that was part of the process. And that's where I began. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow! So you in the book, you talk about this um, process, this journey to becoming a gardener. Uh, And then it's more than just planting seeds and putting stuff out there. So tell us more what is what does that journey look like because I think a lot of us see these big beautiful gardens and these this wonderful food we can grow but I think some people just get overwhelmed or they think that it it can happen right overnight and right.
2: It's that instant gratification, right? Yeah. Um, and see the thing about gardening that I have found, because I'm going to speak for myself and maybe some others that could mm-hmm. that this probably resonates with as well. But gardening teaches you to pace yourself, to be gentle with your progress, not just with growing a garden, but with anything you embark on in life. Mm -hmm. And so kind of this act of becoming a gardener really helps us to understand how do I become this person that is just a bit more cognizant about the life around me, but also what it takes to actually sustain and cultivate and grow the life around me and also the life within myself. Mm -hmm. So I think as a gardener, we think that, like I said, it's so overwhelming to imagine like, Oh my gosh, I've got to learn all of these things to maintain all of these plants, but it starts with your, why, why are you doing this in the first Mm -hmm. place? And Mm -hmm. when I thought about just the act of, you know, starting a garden, that, that should be the first question we ask. What is the reason for us doing this to begin with? And Mm -hmm. that is the driving force.
1: Okay yeah and I think it's a garden certainly teach us too you know when I think about the um like we have to not only learn about the plants but then we have to deal with the weather whatever the weather throws at us right and I know you I forget how you worded it because even insects there will be valleys and trials oh my gosh you know what I mean Ashley that's an understatement right depends on where you are in in the world but there's always challenges insects and and things like that right
2: Yes. And it's in those challenges, like, you know, even planning a garden, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what works for someone may not work for, uh, for someone else. And so sometimes with this instant gratification, we think, oh, I can replicate that exact same thing that so-and-so has, but that might not necessarily work for you and your climate or you and your space or Mm -hmm you know, whatever it may be, or maybe even just your time limitations. So I feel like, you know, the challenges and the trials are what teaches us a lot about ourselves and also everything in our environment, because it's the pests that we see that we also start to understand a bit more about the ecosystem and how Mm -hmm. everything's working there. Yeah.
1: What if, what have you learned as far as like, um to not give up like to because I'm sure you, you went through those challenges right you talk about it in the book um what do you say to people who you know have started and then you know the cucumber beetle ate all their cucumbers and that you know I mean they kind of lose because I I find it challenging as a primarily ornamental gardener and I've tried with other vegetables and stuff it, it, it even though I'm avid it, it still can be a struggle so um I think that
2: that's where the resilience comes in. Mm. And remember in my book, I speak about finding your why and that kind of being your guiding light. When you understand why you're doing this in the first place, it it's kind of that little rainbow in the sky, the silver mm. lining when things don't go the way you planned. And I guess I'm going to pull from my experience because all of this seems so conceptual, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Where
2: I had, you know, I know here in the Southeast of uh, North or North Carolina, which is the Southeast of the United States, uh, we get tornadoes and we also get hurricanes. And This is a known fact in this region that we're going to get hurricanes, we're going to get this crazy weather Mm -hmm. late summer. And it's really up to Mother Nature if my garden is (laughs) going to win or not. But there was one year where uh, we did have a hurricane, and it took out all of my tomatoes. And you know, Or Mm -hmm. in all of, you know, who are listening, tomatoes take a long time to ripen. (laughs) You're doing so much to protect them, but it took out those tomatoes. And it was in that, that you begin to appreciate kind of the cycle of life Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and Mm -hmm. recognizing that this isn't a moment to give up, but more so let me, plants are resilient, crank Mm -hmm. those things right back up, trellis them as best as you can, if you can fix it and uh, you move forward. And recognize that loss does not necessarily mean a loss forever. Oh, okay.
1: So were you able to save them?
2: I was able to save a few. I did have okay. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I had like 10 tomato plants. I was able to save about five. Um, still heartbreaking. I mean, we had yeah. heart- fried green tomatoes you know hey you gotta, when life gives
1: <laughs> yeah. you lemons; you gotta make lemonade <laughs> that's right that's right yeah and who would have thought I mean trying to keep your make your garden hurricane or tornado resilient is got to be a whole other you know is there some I know that probably could be a whole other book but is that does you know are there better locations or uh, are there other things that go into planning that where you kind of consider the weather like the extreme weather in that situation
2: yes so um hindsight is 2020 okay yeah. <laughs> and we know that that was our first year in our okay. garden here um, and we learned that you probably need to uh, trellis these in a way that's going to be a bit more resi- or resilient to uh, you know, hurricane weather or tornadoes or even mm-hmm. storms. So we fixed a trellis. We made it so that uh, even with a windy um, uh, windy weather um, and storms, that our tomatoes would not be damaged and they wouldn't just bend completely at the... Oh, at good. The, so uh, just these are the things that you learn. This mm-hmm. is the coming back we didn't stop growing tomatoes we actually grow them every year uh, we just changed the way we do things to work with nature and not against
0: it oh that's great uh, yeah I just I think that's amazing the the resiliency of your garden and the lessons that you would learn I can only imagine what it would be like to live in a spot where just all of your efforts could just be wiped clean at the end wow it's amazing. It, it's it's something,
2: I, but I, I think it's like we all have the things that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just teaches us to. You got to roll with it. Yeah, we create nature. You that's right. Learn work with nature, yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and Matt. We've had some, you know, like late season, um, like ice storms and and things like, you know, like those rainstorms that turned into hail. And depending on where you were in the GTA, you know, you got our, your plants, baby plants were da- were damaged. Ta- our stuff tends to happen, I think, a bit more in the beginning of our season, you know, than yeah, than, than when snow. they've got tomato, pl- you know. But but if you started your seeds from scratch and then you've got them to that point, that's almost just as bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you start everything by seed?
2: So we were starting everything by um by seed. The first, the second, yeah, pretty much 97%. I, I know that's oh. so random. 97% <laughs> of our garden. Pretty much 97% of our garden is started from seed. The reason why I left that 30% is because we did not start our fruit trees. From seed. Right. <laughs> oh, course. okay. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but everything that you see growing in the garden beds, yes. I started, uh, you know, in different greenhouses that we've had over the years. You guys see this mat, you know, a, a 12 by 12 greenhouse now. But at one time, I had like a two by two Mm -hmm. (laughs) greenhouse and that was our first year but it was incredible because we were still able to produce year-round using just that small
0: space. Wow that's That's amazing. Catherine just as you said it I think you answered Catherine's question she writes in hello Joanne and Matt does your guest use a greenhouse uh, and what does she think of that type of growing? Thank you.
2: Yes, I feel like Catherine, you and I were on the same wavelength just now. <laughs> um, yes, we do. Uh, and we expanded our greenhouse uh, to a larger um, size because we plan to, we were growing intensively and um, I had things that I wanted to bring inside of that space when the temperatures drop during the winter time. Um, I love it. Uh, It's not anything too crazy, uh, but it works for us. And we typically just bring in some type of heater uh, during the colder months to keep everything um, nice, insulated, warm inside uh, to keep that nice greenhouse effect. So yes, we are using a greenhouse and we've been using a greenhouse to start our our, our seeds uh, for each season.
0: I I love how just thinking about what you were saying about the journey and what works for us, right? It's everybody's on their own mm-hmm. individual path and their own individual journey. That's yeah. wonderful. In the book, you mentioned the history of food to table. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. What is the history? Tell
2: us more about that history. Yes. Yeah, so if you, um, for anyone that's listening, my book is very, uh, I like to think that I'm walking with you or taking you through my garden. And um, the reason being is because it helps us to visualize, like, what does all of this mean? Like, what does this space, this garden mean? And I really wanted to understand and to help others to understand the history behind what we what we're seeing kind of boom mm-hmm. now which is you know everyone's garden to table food to table or or um farm to table farm to table and yeah where does that come from and so these are things that we may have heard in passing but to kind of hear it, it it's almost like honoring um systems and concepts that preceded us and really just giving honor to that resilience back then that we're just bringing on forward into you know the future and to our present and into our future so the history of uh garden to table or farm to table i speak about really just how uh there's a lot of empowerment uh and and there's this this kind of act of defiance where people wanted to really reclaim something and that was access to food where there was no access. And so this uh, is, you know, I, I bring in kind of the story of World War One, World War II, and mm-hmm. how we have seen kind of the cycle of humans gravitating back to the land to get what we need. Mm-hmm. And even during times of triumph and tribulation, we've always found ourselves able to cultivate what we need and grow community. So there you saw the um, uh, the victory gardens mm-hmm. coming about. You saw yeah. communities coming together to grow food uh, <laughs> for, for soldiers abroad and even for those in their own community because there was there were food rations. So I think you know, hearing the history of how this began, it speaks to, Hey, they were resi- we come from a resilient people. Yeah, family. we do. And this today, we can still be that empowered, resilient
1: people growing food and creating our own food security right here at home. Yeah, that, that is so true. I mean, and I think about um, like the whole analogy with the Victory Gardens, I kind of think of like during COVID, mm-hmm. how it also made everybody kind of go back to the land and go back to their, what could they do? You know, what could they share with their neighbors? What could they grow to share with their neighbors? You know, we can never eat all the zucchini that we grow ever, right? <laughs> so it meant that you could, you know, create something and, and share it with others um and uh yeah it was very reminiscent of back in 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 those times harsher times for sure right because yeah. we were still all in a nice house with you know no bombing going on and and uh and heat and internet and all that so it's not an exact comparison right
2: but, right? right and it's it's not but at the same time it's kind of like you know why do we need to be in wartime to create mm. victory gardens to get to that level of food security. Why do we have to do it uh, in an act of, you know, like we've got to overcome. No, we, I think that we can be proactive mm. and start to incorporate this into our day-to-day. Uh, and we can do this, you know, outside of wartime and outside of the pandemic as well.
0: mm
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And nutrition too plays a big part. And, and, like you said, so it's not just about growing food, but growing mm-hmm. good food and growing nutritious food. Yes. <clears throat> So I speak about that because the
2: conversation of food security, and I know, you know, when we think about that, I, I really d- devoted like an entire chapter to uh, defining food security and uh, what that conversation means, what the all of the terminology uh, in that domain, what that means, but the quality of foods matter. That's what's going to distinguish us from just waking up and surviving to actually flourishing as individuals. Now we're addressing the wellness, the mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. What is one of the first things that a doctor would tell you, if you are trying to prevent a chronic disease from occurring, change your diet. You want your Mm -hmm. diet to be with whole foods, you know, uh, balanced meals and, how do you get access to that if it's not affordable or perhaps you live far away or whatever that may be? So I believe that gardening can provide us a wide array of more nutritious food options.
1: Excellent. Matt, you should share with Ashley your students. So Matt teaches at our uh, college uh, near us and uh, he was, You. I thought that was great what, that the younger generation-
0: yeah they food security has been for a few years now on their minds mm-hmm. um, you know how do I grow my own nutritious food? How do I become again empowered and take that part of my life back and not have to rely on everything outside of me for my own sustainability it's mm-hmm. It's definitely one of the growing uh, themes amongst them and mm-hmm. and continues to grow strong yeah. Isn't that something?
1: Yeah, I know. I, I found that really like, because I was like, that's odd that they would be interested in food security. Like, you know what I mean? We're, but if they are, they are, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And and my students range anywhere from like right out of high school, 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. uh, up into their 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of them are going back for learning how to grow and grow their own nutritious food. Mm-hmm. For sure. Wow
2: such rich experience. And uh, it's like a, a, an empowerment, it doesn't have an age limit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if we're looking to start on this journey of empowerment, where where do we begin? What in the beginning of the book, you define like, what is a garden? Um, I mean, my list, there's no or the listeners know, I live in a condo. Um, so how do we define a garden? Does it have to be this big space? So yeah, I, I, you guys
2: are, it's so funny because I know that I've intricately kind of brought or or introduced so many of these concepts in the book. Uh, But sometimes when we think about a garden, we think, oh, I've got to grow massive amounts of food on acres and acres of land. And no, not, that's not so. A garden is not just limited to a food or an edible garden. It could be an ornamental garden. It can be, you know, a, just a pollinator garden. It could be a thematic garden. Uh, I kind of outlined where you've got places that have created Zen sanctuaries, um, you know, with so many different types of plants that you can cultivate and curate uh, to, to just align with a theme that is cohesive and harmonious with nature. And then, you know, whether you are in a small space, which could be a condo with just a balcony, it's about how do I maximize this space or optimize the space so that I can grow something. You can be a gardener over just one plant. Mm-hmm. That's where yeah. you can start. You can be a gardener over a thousand plants. It doesn't, the quantity does not determine the quality of gardener you are. It's how you cultivate those things that I have found. That's what makes you a gardener. So planning goes into, you know, really figuring out what you want to grow and how you want to even begin gardening. If you live in a balcony, you're not going to try to make row crops because you don't have (laughs) <laughs> you know you that's not, I don't really think that's possible but there might be plots that you can actually rent out to start a garden in your local municipality or perhaps maybe a community garden this mm-hmm. is located near you if you don't have access to that hey grow lights mm-hmm. containers are your best friends and you can mm-hmm. you can actually you know get a garden going just uh, like that on your balcony. So I really try to break down and and be inclusive of many different locations because remember I started mine in a studio on a yeah. bed. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and that's all, often people start, I mean, there's some people I'm sure that start big, but I think most people kind of start small and then go from there, you know, get addicted. Like that's the addiction <laughs> is, is, uh, is that type of thing.
0: So speaking of growing and growing now, um, Tim has written in hello uh, DTGP show. Uh, what does your guest grow plants uh, like flowers or vegetables, fruit? So what? What some are some of the things you mentioned? Tomatoes and you have some fruit trees. What are some of the other things you grew this year? So D Tim, all of the above. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I um we grow uh, many different types of vegetables. So I'm going to break this up into seasons because we grow year round. Uh, that is the type of, um, climate that we live in, where we are able to figure out what we can grow in the colder months and in our warmer months. So, uh, right now, since we are in the fall season, we are growing root vegetables, lots oh. of leafy grains, mustards, collards, turnips, turnip roots, beets. Um, we're growing, um, lettuce, broccoli, yeah. uh, a lot of those things. And that's outside in our raised beds, but we okay. have a greenhouse, which I'm tre- keeping a few of our tropical trees inside of our greenhouse. Um, I'm also growing in a vertical garden there. Uh, I've got some lemon trees in there that I'm, uh, that i'm growing i'm overwintering oh. peppers uh, next year um I, i've got a really delicious scotch bonnet pepper in there growing oh. right now that's still in production and then also some raspberries that i'm going to be putting right back out uh you can typically plant those in the ground here but um, i got those kind of late and i'm just going to keep them inside of our greenhouse so we keep a nice little variety of things and then of course We have a bit more variety in the warmer months here Mm -hmm. that we grow outside. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, do you have challenges with the heat? Because as much as it's nice that your weather is so good and and you can grow year round versus us here in in our area. But I would think that it really gets hot, right? That is a really great,
2: uh, you know, uh, uh, thing to bring up because... Yes. If you here, if you're not watering consistently um, mm-hmm. and you know, our plants could get scorched right away. So we know that I can't put leafy greens out there in the warmer months. Uh, if mm-hmm. I, if I want to see them flower and just admire their flowers from bolting, <laughs> then yeah. I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I would do that. But just, like, uh, you know, uh, there you know with the warmer months come other things like the the pests um, we've got powdery mildew because we are also humid here mm-hmm. as well so it's good but at the same time it can cause a, a few problems as well I hope I've answered Tim's question
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I think so and well you do so fruit as far as fruit goes you've got berry bushes and you yeah. have some other type of fruit trees or um, like do you, anything like the, the um, apple or. Yes, we have dwarf
2: apple, um, right now, um, in containers. Um, we planted apple trees on our property line. We also have peach trees, um, in ground as well. And th- this is going into its third year. So we actually got quite a few peaches this year. We have blueberry bushes, blackberry bushes, raspberries. Um, and I think. I'm pretty sure I'm missing stuff, of course, some other, you know, lemon citrus things in the greenhouse. um, And we keep those in the greenhouse kind of year round. Mm -hmm. But of course, we grew watermelons because we're in the (sighs) south of the United States. That's right.
1: To (laughs) do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that and well, they take up space too, though. So right. Very much so. So
2: typically, we put the watermelons in the back so that they can run off uh outside of the the garden and we have a nice space that we've been cultivating over the past couple of years to actually grow them in ground and just let them do their thing oh, nice. uh, of that space.
0: oh so how big overall is your is your garden if do you have uh, like a square foot or yes so um
2: it's so interesting because i've got the she shed the greenhouse our chicken coop all within the same vicinity oh, okay and the she shed is growing our tropical plants um and the greenhouse is growing stuff and the chickens are growing
1: chickens <laughs> and <laughs> eggs and they're yes, having it yeah, they're, they're growing eggs exactly
2: um so i would say that we are growing on about 2500 square feet of space okay. uh, or operating growing would be maybe a thousand but the garden would be would consist of about 2500 square feet
1: wow that's great
0: that's amazing yeah you've got the growing but you've also got all those like the chickens all those other pieces of the puzzle that cycle that really builds and encourages that ecosystem to produce that rich healthy food that's wonderful Just as we reach the bottom of the hour, I'm going to jump in and uh, give Ashley a moment as I say thank you for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101, as well as if you're in the car or at home listening to the downloaded podcast. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host and co-author, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research, and from the guests that join us here on the show, such as the mocha gardener, Ashley Thomas, while we talk about her brand new book, How to Become a Gardener, Find Empowerment in Creating Your Own Food Security. Don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at down the garden path podcast is our handle there. And you can find lots of past episodes and content on your favorite Podcast provider. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. So if you are tuning in and you are thinking about your own food security or growing your own food at home, uh, if you have questions for Ashley, and I, I do have a couple, I think, here uh, ready for you, you can write us here at Down the Garden Path Podcast at Hotmail. Uh, um actually i think one of the questions that we often get just going back to what you were growing and overwintering one of the questions we often get uh, especially being here in a northern climate is all about overwintering our tomatoes and a lot specifically the like the peppers the hot peppers and and those rare ones that we tend to find can you talk to a little bit of maybe about your process and is there anything special we we need to do to, to keep them to overwinter? Yes. So
2: I am actually going to say, uh, because I'm still learning how to become an expert on overwintering. Um, and yeah. one thing that I like to do is if, you know, for, for just me and and consider me a babe and overwinter. okay
1: <laughs> well you're a babe with a book yeah with a beautiful book so I'm a babe. you're a you're, you're yes. babe okay you know
2: i i can only speak to what i have overwintered mm. that's how i practice is different than what i no booked up you know book wise mm-hmm. i can tell you what the book says but <laughs> from practice i have overwintered some tomatoes and i've overwintered peppers regarding peppers I keep those in the greenhouse and if you are if this is if your greenhouse is warm um, and I mean above 50 degrees even at 50 it's going to be stunted in its growth so 70 is the sweet spot you can actually maintain this thing well into the new year but if you are unable to Uh, One little trick that I learned from my friend uh, on Instagram and and, and social media is really just cutting the stem and allowing the roots, protecting that root system. When you protect the root system or, you know, leaving enough of the stem so that you're not damaging the plant uh, and then covering that plant so that it remains insulated uh, so that it can actually grow uh, during the the new or when it gets warmer. I have done this and I'm only speaking about it because I know that it is successful uh, <laughs> and that it actually works. I would say if you can keep it in a warm area without cutting it, you're going to get even more success. Okay. That's exactly what we're doing uh, for our tomatoes. and For one tomato variety that I really liked and for one pepper.
0: Oh, great tip. I think that's yeah. great. That's wonderful. And that's often a question that we've had on uh, the show in the past. So thank you for so much for being able to speak to that. Have you found that the peppers were of like you got more peppers or they had greater flavor with the overwintered crop or plant versus brand new plants or younger plants that year? So I didn't find any difference.
2: It was delicious. I mean, still the same, Um, but I will say that it just gives you a head start. So right. head start produces more. So and when it comes to it being more prolific, then yes, my overwintered pepper plant does better than my other plants because mm-hmm. it takes quite a bit of time. Yeah. To started, yes, Started um, If you did not get a head start and once they get going, I mean, they're, they're just, you mm-hmm. know, rolling, but the overwintered pepper produces sooner.
1: Excellent.
2: Wonderful.
0: Thank you so much. Um, So just as we're we're talking with Ashley about her brand new book, How to Become a Gardener, um, I don't think we've really said that you guys should be following uh, Ashley and checking out her social medias at the.mocha.gardener is her Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook Ashley, you also mentioned uh, at the show that you love hearing from listeners and interacting uh, with audiences and that you're willing to have questions. Uh, so you can definitely find your email address there, uh, the.mocha.gardener at gmail.com. And don't forget to head over to Amazon to pick up uh, her wonderful book. It is out, uh, it was out November 1st, I believe it was, was published. Uh, Joanne and I were very lucky to get copies, because it is an absolutely stunning, information-packed, inspirational book. As you were saying before, that you really kind of walk through the book mm-hmm. as a journey. I, While I was reading it, I felt that I was with you in, in not only your garden, but my garden. And I loved seeing that your husband was in there. It, it felt very personal. Uh, the book, but very inspirational and informational as well. So uh, it's an absolutely stunning book, everybody, you have to go over uh, and and find this book. You this is a must have for your all those gardening libraries.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's so much to talk about that we I know we're not going to yeah. be able to cover everything. So don't no. <laughs> out. that's what we've got to uh, you know in this little show right we yeah there's so much more to talk about um and actually there's one feature that I I thought was really interesting and I just wanted to quickly ask you about the you inserted a whole bunch of other people perspectives of a gardener so so throughout you've kind of scattered those throughout the book so tell us your thought process there yes
2: um because I show up in the book a lot. (laughs) How can anyone view themselves as a gardener if they only see me? Um, Ah. It was very important for me to show others, you know, how wide this field of gardening is. And we all come from so many different backgrounds and experiences and we all have different motivations and all of our gardens look the same. And so really to capture kind of this story, I was hoping that someone, you know, that would res, you know, one gardener would resonate with someone mm. and they could say, hey, this looks like me or their garden looks like me or their background is similar to mine and I think that that helps to foster community and that relevance for the individual, because gardening to me is a community. Mm. We are all an ecosystem. Yeah. And I really mm. understand that that is exactly what it is. It, yes. It's an individual act sometimes, but you're just part of a major community and we're all mm-hmm. kind of headed towards the same direction.
0: That's so beautiful. I love it. I, I, Yeah, it's such a great sentiment. And you do feel that as you go through all the different perspectives of a gardener. I found one that reminded me of my sister, and she's kind of in the same spot or have this very similar journey. So it was just very exciting to, again, another way to really relate to the book. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Thank you. Um... Tim has written in, sorry, uh, Monique has written in. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a good
1: Mon- question, actually.
0: I've seen it yeah, <laughs> Very good question. So Monique has written in, hello, uh, what does Ashley think about using pesticides on our food supply? Up here in Canada, our federal government is banning a lot of them, and the farmers are complaining about the crops uh, that are being ruined by insects, et cetera. That is why our food veggies prices are going through the roof. Farmers here use them very carefully and do not do anything to injure the environment on purpose. We need them to keep our crops in a manageable control price-wise. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, this gets that's a really good question. And I think that you we could really have a conference just talking Mm -hmm. about that. As yeah. a matter of fact, there are several conferences that discuss this very issue. Yeah, here too. Yeah. And here in the United States, um, the USDA often holds these types of, of, of conferences to really understand how to grow um sustainably, meaning and by sustainable, in a way that it's going to help to push and prosper the market and the demands, yes, but at the same time, you're thinking about the land as well. Mm. How do we balance you know, taking care of the land that has to grow the food long-term? And at the same time, how do we meet the demands so that it's not affecting or hurting or causing a burden on the people? It's a very tough decision, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the home garden, because what I've learned is that I can't solve all of the problems. Unfortunately, I would love, yeah, to. I, I would love to be a part of a solution to everything, but that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> unfortunately, and we all want to to address this this issue, um, but I'm thankful for the experts that are out there that are actively working on what is the happy medium, uh, what what is the you know how do we begin to produce products that um, is not necessarily going to detriment uh, the the health of our soil um, and the environment but at the same time how are we going to produce a product that's not going to cause long-term effects for us as well yeah. uh, but at the same time we still need to to produce we need our farmers and we need to to be they have to be able to sustain their farms so I leave that to the experts um, and say when it comes to my garden, I do the best that I can uh, to use products that I know are not going to detriment the uh, organisms macro and micro mm. in my space. Okay. And by detrimenting, uh, really not causing or disrupting, you know, the soil in, in terms of runoff and also just leaving any residual, uh, you know, uh, harmful. Yes. Yeah. Harmful. Chemicals, because everything yeah. is a chemical. And remember, I <laughs> have a chemistry background. Everything is a chemical.
1: Yeah. But just
2: making sure that I am not causing undue harm intentionally.
1: Okay. Are there is there anything specific that you can share with us? That something you found that that works? Um, you know, whether it's in, introducing a um, like a I want I don't want to say predator insect. What would you say like for ladybugs here, Matt? Like. Yeah, you something of beneficial insects. Beneficial, effect. thank you. That's the better word. Like, you know, have you experimented with beneficial insects, Um, garlic spray? Like, I think that is just coming here. Um, I know it's been in the US for a while. And even though it's technically a safe thing, oddly, it's been slow to come to Canada. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so, and, and you know, it, kind of these international regulations, you just mm-hmm. don't know what works for your country or what not. but it's almost as if, you know, I, I had, it, you know, I, with my background in research, I like to understand what exactly is functioning in this product yeah. that makes it good. Because if there's something comparable that I can use, I'm going to use it. Now, with that being said to the solutions, because remember, I don't like to just dwell in the problem or say, don't do this or mm-hmm. don't do that. Um, I just don't know where people stand. I want to offer my solutions. So an alternative, of course, my alternatives of what I use to make sure that my plant health is well, and that I'm addressing pest control, uh, just in my small space, I use neem oil and castile soap um, diluted, diluted very much. So I also use something called diatomaceous earth. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know what that is, but it's basically pulverized, uh, diatoms and other, um, um, small, uh, like seashells and, and, uh, oceanic organisms. Um, and what that does is, you know it has a mechanism i'm not going to get into the granular
1: <laughs> that's details. a whole other show actually <laughs> <Ashley. laughs> yeah,
2: the granular details of how it repels at, at things but it does not um cause any long term effects to the thing the plants or the other organisms that are below the soil yeah the soil so, yeah earth neem oil uh diluted with castile soap and also bringing in some pollinators um a lot of times, you know, we've got wasps that are pollinators, but they're also kind of like these predatory species as well. And they're going to address things. So as you're bringing and thinking about how do I create harmony into this space, you'll find that things are happening that you didn't even intentionally cause to happen. I did not invite the snakes into my garden, but I've got friendly snakes that come in and address the mole issue. I've got, you know, um, uh, toads and frogs that come in and address some of the smaller pests at, at times. And so it's little things like that. The bats will take care of the mosquitoes, creating a habitat for them. Thinking about ways to, you know, if I'm thinking Japanese beetles, I need to address that with some neem oil or really just pluck them off if I can, because it's a smaller space. So thinking about things like that, bringing in the ladybugs Mm -hmm. to, or or encouraging ladybugs to just naturally come if I can, bringing in pollinators to invite them in so that they can attack the aphids that tend to come in the warmer months, things like that, that helps me to um, really uh, use as minimal products as possible.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah again yeah going back to that you know restoring the cycle and that ecosystem and really understanding and reconnecting with that land yeah Yeah, and the environment around you that's so wonderful to hear yeah Mm -hmm. beautiful um in your book um you talk about your ashley's dozen Mm -hmm. what what is ashley's dozen Ashley's Dozen is basically
2: a list of plants that you're going to get a lot of, like you're going to get some high rewards if you start with these plants. Oh, And so uh, the reason I start with that is because these are the plants that I know is going to make you really feel encouraged about the gardening. (laughs) You're going (laughs) to feel amazing. You're going to produce prolifically and Mm. you're going to reap the benefits Um, you know, many times over. So it, you'll see things like the tomatoes, you'll see um, peppers. We know that you can, a pepper plant can make even, you know, a gardener of just one day look like a gardener that's been gardening for 30 years (laughs) and (laughs) things like cucumbers, so really um Ashley's dozen is it's is covering um some staple items yes and by when I say staple items these are really food items that we eat very frequently over here um and I would even venture to say many people are pretty familiar with these products but they're going to give you a lot of reward in a short amount of time
1: okay yeah i mean i think um um, kale, um, Swiss chard, not to give away all your dozen here, and beans, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's that's a great idea. We weren't, we couldn't figure out what they were, like, cause they were varied, right? So, so yeah, so thank you. And I think that helps people that are new to gardening, um, you know, set them up for success, right? Because you know, you, you, if you start with something that could be, you know, specifically, you know, a little trickier, Um, although I can kind of find, I'm fine with like cherry and grape tomatoes, I have less success with like the big tomatoes. Um, So, yeah, so I think anybody who's starting out, you want to have, you know, at least start with a sure thing.
2: Yeah. And I one thing I wanted to really emphasize with the the dozen is, it's one thing to just tell someone, hey, you're going to get a lot from this plant, but I want to show you how to grow it and mm-hmm. to grow it. And also how do I even eat this thing? Because that is, is it, a, a very important aspect of growing food and creating your own food security? It has to be food. You have yeah. to eat
1: it. Yeah. 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 What do you I do with it? I want to make like, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that is true yeah because sometimes you you see stuff like even impulse purchase like when you're buying seeds right like everything looks so good and looking through the either at the store or the seed catalogs and you know you want to grow it but it's like how what do I do with it like how does that you know wow that I have it all um
2: and the garden you know. will will suck you in like that you'll mm-hmm. see it, it looks great it's pretty the pictures are pretty but then you get it growing and you're like okay so mm-hmm.
0: now what? What do I do with it? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When do I harvest it? When is it ready? <laughs> what is it? How do I use it in the kitchen? Yeah, oh. yeah. And you do a great job at, at just going in and and just talking about how to use them all. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you. We're starting to reach the last eight or so minutes of the show. Is there anything um, that you want to talk about before we go? Mm-hmm. I think um, really just
2: kind of giving uh, giving gratitude for one for being here, uh-huh. um, and then for anyone that's listening, giving gratitude to you for listening uh-huh. and staying, you know, listening to what I have to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, But at the same time, I also like to, at the end of my book, I left this little treat, a little basket because I like whenever someone leaves from my space, my garden, uh, I like to send them home with a little basket of goodies. And so my little metaphorical basket of goodies would be, if you want to start, you know, start small, think about, you know, what it is that you want to, to do and Don't be afraid to dive in. Also, connect with other gardeners. We're in a time where social media has really allowed us this opportunity to connect with people near and far. Don't be afraid to connect and and watch and engage and build that community of support that you need. You can, you know, connect with me. I'll be the first person to to help, to help support you. Um, And also for those who, who gave up, um, try again, but I will Mm -hmm. tell you why, try again, just one more time. And again, start small. You don't have to dive right back in. Even if you have 11 empty raised beds and you're just not feeling it, buy a pot buy one pot and see how you feel and take it, take it easy from there. Because remember, as you're cultivating that garden, you're cultivating the gardener too. And that is equally
0: important as the green life around you. Yeah, that's just so wonderful. I The the whole end of your book, cultivating the gardener within yourself and why it's important. And you do, you have a beautiful, that whole page about that little basket that you you send home it's 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 a it's absolutely beautiful yeah it's beautiful so thank you so much yeah what what a wonderful a wonderful message thank you and again thank
2: you guys
1: this is this has been great yeah oh that's good now are you able to um yeah i know we still have a couple minutes but um like you're going to create a lot of food. Like, are you, it's just your family eating it? Are you able to share with others? Do you have are part of some kind of a cooperative? Because, you know, lots, sometimes when you, it's one thing to say, you're going to get a lot of food, but you could, you need to use it, right? Yes, that is huge. We we Mm -hmm. take
2: place pretty seriously
1: here. Um,
2: If for what we are not using, it is going to be, it's going to either go to someone, um, family or friend, I am known to feed people and <laughs> away food, drop off a random basket of food or eggs or something to a neighbor or or some a colleague, um, just because I like to see people fed and feeling well. But at the same time, our chickens they will demolish the, you know, some leftover plants. So we're creating kind of this cycle oh. of, you know, uh, of food. So, so, and when it comes to a co-op, um, are we part of a cooperative? Not if, no, we are not. Okay. We actually just produce for our family, ourselves, mm-hmm. our family and our friends. So I have a sister who is in college. I like to give food to her because mm-hmm. it, It minimizes the expenses that she has to, you know, give on food. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, my grandparents, we are constantly (gasps) supplying them with food and fresh eggs. The price of eggs, organic eggs at that has significantly increased over the past two years. So we are able to take that burden off of them by providing them with fresh produce and um, eggs uh, weekly. Oh, that's great. My friends, um, you know, just different things. We we provide, I give starters to people so that they can get their garden going. I also work with the community garden to get their gardens going from growing seeds in my greenhouse and I just transplant them there. So that's our way, our little way of, of trying to give back and, and feed our community.
1: Wow, that is great. And this isn't your full time job. Like you've got a whole other thing, right? So this is, yeah, do you sleep? That's I guess our parting question is (laughs) when does Ashley sleep? Because this is a lot. And because it's year round, you mean us, where we are, you know, we kind of are wrapping up, sadly, we're wrapping up our gardens in September.
0: Mm -hmm. you
1: know a a few crops kind of go a little bit later depending on the weather and and really not starting again till May Ashley. so we're you know we're really you know we we, again we'll start seeds inside and and that type of thing but uh yeah so not only is it it's it's a long season for you and it sounds like it's a a huge endeavor so I, I kudos to you and thank you so much for sharing this book um, and I think, you know, especially if, if um, Matt's students are any indication, I think food security is, is going to become more and more um, a, an issue, a concern, and, um, and it's great to ha- be able to have some resources to, um, to guide us. So, so thank you very much.
2: Thank you guys. This is, uh like I said, it's um, been a pleasure um, talking about something that we all love, which is yeah. gardening. and.
0: Food, of course. Yes. <laughs> I'm so hungry after yeah. talking with you. <laughs> oh, we had some nice, fresh food.
1: And, and did you enjoy the process? Again, we one minute, but enjoy the process of writing a book. I know Matt and I just have, writ- have written one as well, so we know it's quite the process, isn't it?
2: I enjoyed it. The- <laughs> it was interesting. Um, yeah. I- <laughs> That writing a book is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Maybe it is for someone and I commend them, but this is yeah. a marathon for me. And, um, but it taught me so much about myself because as I was trying to write how to become a gardener, I was also ha- learning how to become an author. And uh, that was, there was a lot of things I had to overcome, but man, once you submit that, get that last couple of words done. hmm sweet and it feels surreal but yeah
1: and then the book in your hands right so uh so thank you so much for joining us and uh and sharing your time with us we really appreciate it and we can't wait to share this with our with our other listeners as well and thank you to everybody who's been listening live uh and uh enjoying uh ashley and learning more about her book
0: that's right thank you everybody again Thank you again, Ashley. What a, a wonderful time on the show. Uh, we wish you all the best uh, this holiday season and a happy new year. Definitely don't forget to check out uh, the Mocha Gardener at the the.mocha.gardener on all your social media. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to Down the Garden Path here on Reality Radio 101. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.